word of truth this morning. Also, just a reminder, the boxes over there by the doors for your prayer requests and your ties and such, if this is your home church, and any of the other slips or forms that we have available for you guys. So um, last week, we looked at verse 19 here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we've been seeing how all these verses really go together and really have been making our aim to look at this epistle and the context that it was written in and its context in Scripture and we see that there are several things here that are building on one another. And I hope you guys are really seeing that when we take Scripture in context, even how much more powerful it is, and how much more clear it is, and so forth. And remember, all this is really being built on the theme of the, the epistle itself, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We see that as the prevailing theme in the epistle. Every chapter talks about the return of the Lord. And then remember, as we finish those thoughts about the coming of the Lord, and Chapter 5, earlier in it, he says, Now knowing he's coming like a thief in the night, be watchful. And then he says, Therefore do these things. And, and these things we've been looking at over the last uh, several weeks have been in light of, again, it being God's will for us to walk in these things, but also in light of the fact Jesus is coming like a thief. Listen, when he says to be watchful, that's not a call to quit your job, to get a pair of binoculars and hang out on your roof all day. And uh, Lord willing, in three or four weeks, we're going to start Second Thessalonians, and we're going to see some of those in Thessalonica actually did that. They quit their job, and then they were mooching off their brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they got a prophetic word, if you don't work, you don't eat. Quit feeding these guys. That's not being watchful. Being watchful is being about the business of the Lord, and absolutely in that as well, knowing he's coming, being aware of prophecy. But being watchful has to do with your treatment of your fellow brother in the Lord, upholding the weak warning the unruly and so forth, as we read there uh, in, the, in the middle part of chapter 5. Being watchful is rejoicing always in the Lord. There's always reason to rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes our circumstances bring tears, and rightfully so. We're to mourn and weep and lament at times, but we always have reason to rejoice in the Lord. Jesus has risen from the grave. We are saved by grace through faith. He is coming again. That is reason to rejoice, amen? That's part of being watchful. We saw that we are called to pray always. These things are God's will. These things are also part of being watchful. Then we also saw to give thanks in everything. We have so many things to be thankful. We are daily loaded down with benefits from the Lord, as the psalmist declared. Then again, this morning and last week, we saw the command not to quench the Spirit of God. So we're to do these things in light of the coming of the Lord. They're the will of God. And then also we need to know that when we're not walking in these things, we quench the Spirit of God. And last week, we looked at this in great detail. First of all, we saw who the Spirit of God is. We saw that the Holy Spirit is not an it. And we rejoice in that because we don't have an it living in us as followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a force, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We saw that there is one God. He has revealed himself in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And absolutely, they are absolutely one, and they are also absolutely singular. And there's no way for us to wrap our minds around that. We can make efforts to do that. But listen, this is something we should rejoice in. Our God has revealed himself to us, and yet at the same time, he is greater than our peanut brains can comprehend. I always laugh every time in Scripture when you read about some little war or scuffle, and someone steals the idols of another group, and they're like, hey, come back with our gods, you know? Aren't you glad that our God's greater than that? That he is... You know what, so vast and awesome and powerful and so forth. And so absolutely, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. 
And we saw how he worked, you know what, in our lives before we came to know him. Jesus declared the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And before we came to Christ, we were empty vessels. God did not dwell in us. The Bible says that we were our sons of wrath. We are darkness outside of Christ. We are separated from him because we've transgressed his law. He's holy. In fact, we were under his condemnation and wrath, being judged by the law, being shown that we fall grossly short of his glory, but the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin, the fact that we've transgressed God's law. God's given us a conscience. There's things about God and his law that are written on our hearts. So when we, when we transgress God's law, when our conscience is convicted, that's in part the Holy Spirit convicting us that we're sinners, that we're under judgment, that we need right standing with God, and that's found in Jesus Christ. That's why the name of Jesus Christ is so powerful, because it is endorsed, his name is endorsed by the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is why so many people get rattled at the name of Jesus. There's no name that is as offensive to mankind than the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, people just have meltdowns if you mention the name of Jesus. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting them. The Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and there's power in the name of Jesus. This is why our culture, so many in our culture strive to push out the name of Jesus and suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they want to feel comfortable in the rebellion against God. So the Holy Spirit convicts. And then when the Holy Spirit, you know what, saves us when we come to faith in the Lord, the Holy Spirit then seals us. He comes to indwell in us. Remember, we saw the water outside and then filled to the top. We get the seal of the Spirit of God. He comes to indwell in us. Why? Because when we call upon Christ as our Lord and Savior, we repent, turning from worshiping ourself, our own Lord, whatever our Lord is, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave. Watch me. We go from being under the law that condemns us to being under grace that sets us free. And that's why we want to remain in grace. Like, you know what Paul wrote to those in Corinth. He says, who's bewitched? You've gone back under the law. That's another gospel. We're under grace now. We're not under the law. And so now we're in right standing with God, and God can come and dwell with us as he intended in the beginning of creation before man sinned and severed that relationship. And then from there, he wants to empower us to now walk in victory in Christ to walk in the things of the Lord, to walk in the call of God that's been placed upon those that know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to bear the fruits of the Spirit of God in our life that we read about there in Galatians 5, versus us walking in the works of the flesh, to bestow gifts on us and to empower us to be our helper and our comforter and our teacher and all those things that he does. And we looked at many of those things last week, but again here in verse 19, it says, don't quench the work of the Spirit. And we can do that. Believers who've come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit is sealed, we can quench them. Now, if we're really saved, we can't lose our salvation. If we could lose our salvation, guess what? We'd all lose it. We would. And if you're like, not me, listen, you better put that pride in check. Jesus is the one that saved us. And he's the one that sustains us. He's the one that sees us through. It's him. But we can absolutely grieve the work of the Spirit of God. You know, we looked at the, the, the illustration of marriage, and the, and the scriptures use this. You know, you enter into holy matrimony, a man and a woman, when they enter into holy matrimony, they're married, right? And it's a sealed thing. But don't talk to your wife for a week and see, see what it does to your relationship. It's going to quench it, isn't it? 
It's going to grieve it if you're just out all night doing your own thing. It's going to put a great strain upon that relationship. In the same manner with the person on the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, he's saying walk in these things so the Spirit of God is not quenched. When we have a grumbling, complaining spirit all the time and we don't rejoice, we're not thankful, it quenches the Spirit of God. When we have no prayer, you know, at life with the Lord, it's going to quench. It's going to put a strain on that relationship. And this morning, again, building all these things in context, we're going to see that when we despise God's prophetic word, that that quenches the spirit of God. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people today in and outside of the church that are despising the word of God. We're going to see this morning that we're called to test all things according to the word of God. And when we don't do that, Again, we quench the Spirit of God. And the ironic thing about that, a lot of people think that when you do test things by the Word of God, you're quenching the Spirit. It's the exact opposite. And then we're going to see we're called to hold fast to what is good, to abstain from every form of evil. And yet when we don't do that, again, there's a quenching of the Spirit. Now listen, in all these things, God wants to help us. The Lord knows we're but dust. The Lord knows that we need His help and His aid. And what we're looking at here tonight this morning is not to put a heavy burden on us. His commandments aren't burdensome, but to free us through truth. To understand how God wants to work in our life and to give us instruction on our end. So, you know, we can be a place where we're saying, yes, Lord, come and work. So let's read verse 16 through 21, and then we'll pick it up here in verse 20. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, to despise something, it means to have a contempt for it, to have a grudge against it, to be opposed to it, to dislike it, to loathe it. Is there anything that you despise? I think there's probably things we all despise that are all more on a kind of a juvenile level, maybe, if you want to put it like that. Uh, Maybe certain foods we don't like that that, you know what, uh, don't agree with our taste buds and so forth. Myself, it's onions. Listen, I don't mind so much if they're cooked or they're blended into something, but just an onion in itself, oh my goodness, boy. It, 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 my tongue has a gross dislike for onions. This doesn't agree with me. We started softball season a few weeks ago. I despise bad calls from umpires. Now, I know they're trying. <laughs> and no doubt sometimes I'm wrong and they're right, but, you know, listen, I'll be truthful to you this morning. I despise big government. We are so regulated. I'm thankful for government. Bible given those things, and we need to pray for these folks. But, boy, big, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're getting the idea, you know, know, about despising. And listen, we, we, we want, if we're despising, we want to do it in a healthy biblical manner and so forth. But listen, he says don't despise prophecies. And I think it's important that we talk a little about maybe something we despise, maybe some thoughts come to your mind, because he's telling them not to despise prophecy. And what is prophecy? Well, first and foremost, prophecy is God's prophetic written word. We got to know that. He's telling them don't despise the word of God. Why would he need to say that? Because there's temptation to despise God's word. Listen, God's word can be very offensive to our flesh, can it not be? When he says, don't do that and do this, and our flesh is saying, no, I want to do this, and I don't want to do that. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Everything is exposed before the word of God. There's times when God's word rebukes us, 
corrects us. It cuts us and so forth. But all this is done from the great physician's scalpel wanting to bring healing in life, wanting to take out of things, things in our life that don't belong there, that are cancerous to impart life and a work of the Lord that's good. Now notice 2 Peter 1.16. We have scripture, and there's many scriptures that talk about God's prophetic word and how God's word was given as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. But I want to read this, encourage you to drink this in and listen to it. And again, this is uh, the Apostle Peter speaking here, 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, we didn't make this stuff up. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with them on a holy mountain. So Peter's saying, myself and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and we heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. This isn't a story. This isn't a fable. And then verse 19, he says, and so we have the prophetic word confirm which you do well to heed as a light that shines in dark place, a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So he says, we have God's prophetic word confirmed in our life. Not only was confirmed through the Mount of Transfiguration, but from the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, you do well to heed the word of God versus despising the word of God. And then he says here, verse 20, knowing this verse, and hear this, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So we see God's word is prophetic. It's not a, a private interpretation. So in other words, you can't isolate a scripture. We have to look at scripture and the totality of scripture in context and so forth. And then in 21, he says, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So again, we come over to our text. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. The Holy Spirit moved upon men when they wrote the prophetic word. When we despise the scripture, we are despising the Holy Spirit in a way, and we are quenching the spirit of God. Now, scripture itself also has a prophetic nature in the foretelling of future events. A good portion of the Bible is prophecy in that sense. It's all prophecy and that the Holy Spirit of God moved upon men. It's also prophetic in the declaration of future things. Isaiah 46, 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no, no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. We talked about this many times, all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming. Over 300 prophecies. Genesis 3, we see the first one about the Savior who would come from the seed of woman as the Holy Spirit would overshadow a virgin. So Christ would be born without a sin nature. He'd be the Son of God, the Son of Man, live a sinless life. He'd go to the cross and his heel would be bruised by the serpent. But in his death and resurrection, he would crush the serpent's head. And he'd make that way of salvation. And the Old Testament is full of all these prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've talked about the fact when Paul went preaching Jesus, he didn't have a New Testament, you know, in his back pocket from the Gideons. He preached the Old Testament scriptures, showing how Christ fulfilled those things. So God's word's prophetic concerning the first coming of Christ. That's how we knew Jesus 
was the Christ and is the Christ. And we talked about this many times. Listen, there's five times more prophecies about the Lord's second coming. And indeed, he is coming again. On top of that, there's all kinds of prophecies about the end of the age and how things would be. The fact that Israel's been regathered again as a nation is a miracle upon miracles that many people said would never happen. Even people in the church that read in the scripture in the last days, Israel will be regathered together. In the late 1900s, there were men that were still adhering to the scriptures, that were preaching this, that were proclaiming it, that were looked down on. They said, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. The church is now Israel. And they said, no, I believe the Bible. We got a book out in the bookstore. It's called Jesus is Coming. And it's a guy who wrote, he wrote that book in the late 1800s, all based on scripture of how God would regather Israel together. And it is, it is a prophetic book because it's based on the prophetic scriptures. And it's amazing how it was, it, the book is spot on because he held up the scriptures. In the midst of regathering, again, in, 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 in what was called Palestine and on kibbutz and so forth. But even in that, there was a great opposition. But God's word is prophetic. If he says it hap- is going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. And we've talked about in this epistle about the coming of the Lord. And remember we saw uh, the disciples asking, what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And the Lord gave all of these signs that would unfold. We'll talk about one of those in particular in a minute. And then the scripture also talks about before the coming of the Lord, there'll be many people that you know what they do? They despise prophecy. It's one of the marks of the coming of the Lord. Second Peter chapter 3 speaks of this. We've looked at this verse many times, but I want to read it again. Verse 1 through 9, encourage you in light of everything we're looking at here to, to take this in. And I know when I read nine verses up here, it's easy to kind of drift at verse 4 or 5. Do your best to follow along here. He says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us and the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he says, be mindful of God's word. Don't despise God's word. Don't push God's word out of your mind. Be mindful of it. And then he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So they're not walking according to the scripture. They despise scripture. They walk according to the lust of their flesh, what they feel, what they want, and so forth. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then notice verse 5. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water in water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And how amazing why, while there are many scoffing the coming of the Lord, that are willfully forgetting the word of truth, willfully forgetting that God destroyed the earth the first time with a flood. And indeed, there is archaeological evidence of that. There is historical evidence of that. And more importantly, there is the biblical record of that, God's prophetic word. They forget that. They begin to mock Christ's second coming. In this is to their detriment, God showing them grace and mercy all the while, 
long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, and yet the more they reject his grace and mercy, the more they store up wrath. So we got to know that we are in a culture where there is an influence of, of individuals that despise the word of truth. We need to know that. We need to resist that. We can't be influenced by that. We also need to know that God's word is prophetic, again, in its proclamation of the eternal destination and judgment of all. Do you guys understand that every time I preach the gospel from the pulpit, there is a prophetic utterance going forth? And I'm not declaring myself to be a prophet, but absolutely there is a prophetic utterance. John 3, 36, who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. That is a prophetic utterance. That is saying the future for those that choose to trust in Christ and the future of those that choose to reject him as Lord and Savior. He's saying those that call on him, again, they're no longer under the law. They've put their faith in Christ in fulfilling the law, dying for their sins, defeating sin and death, and now they're under grace. They have everlasting life. Is that not a good place to be? But those that want to reject him. For whatever reason, whether it is I love my sin or I don't want to believe there's a God, I want to suppress all this in unrighteousness, I'm good enough on my own. The Bible says they're under the wrath of God because they're under the law. And I don't care who you are, you want to get judged by God's law, you, we all grossly fall short of it. He has a strict standard. And then some people try to downplay God's justice and, you know, it, and, and his holiness by saying, well, you know, he's not going to be that strict. He's a loving God. And I'll, I'll keep bringing the illustration because it's so fresh in our minds. You know, if, if a judge let off a doctor that molested 300 girls in gymnastics, wouldn't he would say, well, he's a loving judge? Of course, he's a loving guy. You say, no, that's a corrupt, wicked, foul judge, would you not? People would be more angry with him than with the individual. Take this person out and, you know what, give them both the death penalty. And really, in a way, they'd be deserving of that if we want to use, again, God's standards of righteousness and so forth. When we put faith in him, though, we come under grace. And then the Spirit of God wants to empower us to walk in that grace as we yield our life to him. But there's a, there's a prophetic declaration there. Listen, if you call on the name of the Lord in truth, you humble your heart, you are saved, you're born again. If you want to reject him, the Bible says you'll spend eternity in a place that Jesus Christ called hell. And he gave great description on it. And he gave that description because he relished the thought of throwing men into hell. No one will get thrown in hell. They'll willfully choose to go there, number one. Secondly, hell was not created for men, but the devil and his angels when he rebelled. And Christ came to make a way to save us from that. That's why he talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. Because he wanted them to understand and us to understand. He's came to make, he came to make that way to bridge us from death to life through faith in him. That is the good news. And listen, the good news to be, needs to be proclaimed in this day that we are living in. So again, there's declaration. Even for the believer, there's prophetic words given concerning our lives and a judgment that's gonna come upon us as Christians. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about building our lives on the rock of Christ, him being the foundation. And then it says, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 
If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through the fire. So he's saying, listen, if you're a believer, you're going to be saved, but here's a prophetic word, your works are going to be judged. So this is encouragement for us not to bury our talents and and live our life just as as a carnal man would live but to take steps of faith to be about his business. This is a prophetic word. It's all going to be put to a test. And we will either gain reward or we'll suffer loss. But again, our salvation is found by grace through faith in him. We need to take that to heart. Or do we despise that when we hear that? Do we downplay that? Do we think, well, that's reiterated over and over again, but I really don't believe it. And I would encourage all of us, myself included, we need to test whether we believe that or not not by if we say yes or nay, amen, that should be part of it, but more so, what's our life look like? Listen, faith is seen in our actions more so than our proclamations. If you really believe something, it's going to be seen in the way you live your life, or you might just be fooling yourself of what you really believe. The Bible even talks about many in Christianum in the church, and I say that in quotations, who in the last days will despise God's word. And we need to be aware of this as well. Read it again, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And then verse 3, we've read it many times. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll despise sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, They'll heap up teachers for themselves. They'll turn their ears away from the truth, be turned aside to fables. Then he says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This isn't my opinion here, though I can see this played out all over the place. This is God's prophetic word. He says, in the last days, many that say they're in the church, whether they are or not, only the Lord knows that it's an unrighteous judgment for me to judge someone's heart. We'll see in a minute, we better judge doctrine and fruit, starting with our own. But he says the time's going to come when they're going to heap up teachers that tickle their ears because they don't want to be rebuked. They don't want to be exhorted. They don't want to be convinced. They don't want to suffer long with the scriptures. They say instead, you know, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. So that I can be comforted here. Tell me fables. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't cut me with that sword. Don't rebuke me with that sword. Don't exhort me with that sword. I don't want any of that. But boy, if we had cancer in our bodies, would we say, doctor, give me sugar, give me sugar? No, hopefully we'd be saying, doc, cut it out. Get it out of me. I I, want to live. I don't want to die. And especially, I don't want to die in this manner. That's That's a difficult task, is it not? And what's more important, these physical bodies or our souls? There's nothing more precious than your soul. Again, Jesus declared, what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So again, this is an exhortation for us today. Don't despise God's prophetic word. And if you're despising God's word and yet you welcome fables and you hold them up, you're quenching the work of the Spirit of God. If you just want to heap up people that tell you what your flesh wants to hear, that appeals to the flesh and so forth. Listen, there's many conferences that are given today about how to make your church bigger. And pretty much they all boil down to one thing, how to tickle the ears of people that want their ears tickled. 
Not just my opinion. You look around, you see it, and God's word declares it. And this isn't being said to try to exalt ourselves here. Listen, we got a lot of issues we're trying to work through in the Lord ourselves. But we better take heed to this and be a people proclaiming the word of God. We can also despise God's word, and this is huge for us this morning. James 1.22, we looked at this, you know, a a year or so ago here in James, but he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Notice here, deceiving yourself. It's very easy for a Bible-teaching church that's about the business of God because they're teaching the Bible to think that's the end of it. To think, listen, when, when, when the Bible's um, uh, exposited, when it's preached, and I say a yes and amen, uh, we're, we're now, uh, we're, we're, we're walking in the word of God. Well, we're walking through it, we're studying it, but where are our works? He says, be doers of the word, not hearers, deceiving yourself. And if we just hear, we say yes and amen, but we don't act on it, we're despising God's word too. Satan loves dead orthodoxy. He loves it. Where all the doctrines in order, line upon line, it's all there, but no one's acting on it. There's not an unction. It's not being empowered by the Spirit of God. We don't want to fall into that place. And this is where, again, in a second, we're going to see test all things, not only testing doctrine or fruit, but testing, again, our own lives, our works. What are we doing with these things? And then again, there are many that want to just be driven by experience. We've talked a lot about mysticism that has infiltrated the West from the East. This idea of, you know what, meditating into these spiritual planes and so forth. Uh, God's called us to refrain from that. God's called us to be a people that, you know what, practice the things of the word of truth and the gifts of the Spirit and so forth in line with God's word. Not to cross those boundaries put forth and so forth. And when we do that again, we're despising prophecy. When we don't want to worship God with our heart, our strength, our mind, our soul. When we don't want to worship him with our mind, but instead clear our minds and, you know what, open ourselves up to whatever. There's not going to be a move of the spirit. There's going to be a quenching of the spirit. And I'll tell you what, another spirit always wants to try to take the place of the Holy Spirit. Now all of this is to our demise. When we despise God's word, it's not to our profit, and it's also to the harm of others. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given inspiration by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then notice here, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's not despise what's good for us. Would we want to despise a medication that's going to make us better? Do you despise vitamins in your, you know what, in your medicine cabinet? I hope not. Those are good things. And then 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself. And again, we'll talk about testing in a second. It starts testing ourself. And to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. So this is to our benefit, to the benefit of those around us. Now quickly, listen. There's God's prophetic word, and the Bible also talks about the gift of prophecy. And the gift of prophecy, prophecy is proclaiming the things of God in power. It's primarily speaking God's word with unction, with power. It's Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Prophecy can also be 
the foretelling of future events, but the scripture makes it clear, you better be 100% spot on if you're saying, thus saith the Lord. Because the Spirit of God, guess what? He knows everything that's going to happen. It's not guesswork on God's end. And it's funny, there's, there's a lot of prophets, you know what, uh, in, in like International House of Prayer and IHOP, these groups, Jesus Culture, and they say, hey, if a prophet's 60% right, he's of God. Where are you getting that from? You're despising the scripture there. It's their own words and such. Don't you think the spirit of God, don't you think Jesus knows exactly the end from the beginning? And if he's going to reveal, you, reveal that to you by the spirit of God, it's going to be spot on? Again, test all things. You start saying, thus saith the Lord, it better be 100% accurate. Or guess what? I'm going to say, thus saith there's the door. <laughs> you can take that out of here. Uh-uh. We don't tolerate that. That needs to be repented of. And now sad how many of these individuals have been wrong time after time after time, and they still have these big platforms fleecing the body of Christ of millions and millions of dollars in most cases, of resources that could be spent where there's actually good and effective ministry and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But both those guys also tickle ears and so forth. But again, prophetic teaching, it's usually more despised because it penetrates hearts. Very rarely will someone get upset with some jellyfish in the pulpit. You know, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Someone that just goes back and forth, whatever the latest wind of doctrine? No, you went out to see a prophet. Someone that's standing in the truth. Someone willing to rebuke a Pharisee, not fearing man, but instead being concerned about their eternal soul. Now the Lord told us to pray for this gift. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may speak in tongues. No, it doesn't say that. Especially that you may prophesy. And again, this doesn't mean that in praying for that, I'm going to get a bullhorn and a sandwich board delivered from, my, from God to my doorstep, and I got to go out and be annoying. Most people that are self-declared prophets are just annoying. In fact, I get a big red flag when someone starts declaring themselves a prophet because I think if someone really has the gift of prophecy, they're going to understand you better walk in humility in that because you're declaring God's word. You are not there to promote yourself. But we should pray for that. And we talk about this often. We should want to prophetically speak in our children's life that when we share the gospel with them, it would penetrate their hearts. We talk to them about purity. When we talk to them about good choices biblical morality and so forth we want that to penetrate and pierce their heart do we not listen you're the priest of your home i'm not pastor steve isn't coming home with you tonight i'm here to help equip you with god's word and bible says to pray for these gifts so that you can prophesy to your wife and listen a prophetic word isn't do what i'm telling you to do it's going to be bringing god's word let's do what god's called us to do amen So we want to pray for that. Now, building on this, he says, test all things. The context, what do we test all things by? The word of God, by God's prophetic word. We've been called to make judgments. We've been called to test. The word test here means to prove, to discern, to try, to judge. Notice here, not a few things, but all things. Now, absolutely, there's righteous judgments and there are unrighteous judgments We want to walk in righteous judgments, but the Bible has told us to test and judge everything. 1 Corinthians 2.13, 
These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So he's talking about the scripture here. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. And where you're going to find individuals that don't exercise judgment, that don't exercise discernment, that don't test things, what you're going to find usually is a whole lot of carnality. They've been misinformed. They think, boy, if I test anything, I'm going to quench the spirit of God. Now, if you're doing that with a mean spirit, if you're doing that out of a heart of malice, yes, that's not biblical. But if you're testing things to guard your soul, to guard your family, to guard your church, the Holy Spirit's blessed by that. But if you don't want to do that, there's going to be a quenching of the spirit of God. So it says, he who's spiritual judges all things. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some of you are thinking right now, wait one minute, mister. The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. Aha, I got you. Then why are you judging what I just said? Because for you to say, judge not lest ye be judged, you made a judgment on what I said about judging right before you judged me. Whole lot of judginess going on here this morning, right? We all make judgments. Yesterday, I went in to make a sandwich. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was really good. And before I made it, I needed a butter knife because I went and I made a judgment. Butter knife for my finger, I'm going with a butter knife. I opened the dishwasher to see if there was a clean butter knife in there because being a man, I wanted to make the closest route. The dishwasher was closer than the silverware drawer. I go in and I look and I couldn't tell at first. I look a little close and they're dirty. And the way that thing shut quick. I made a judgment. I didn't just grab a knife, especially the knife that we made bean burritos uh, for lunch with and use it on my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I made a judgment to protect my taste buds and my health and so forth. We judge things. Now, are there unrighteous judgments? Absolutely. Again, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest ye be judged. What's the context of that? A guy with a big old log in his eye trying to judge other people. What a hypocrite. Judge yourself first. Get the log out of your own eye, you hypocrite. Then you can help your brother get the speck out of their eye in love. Bible says man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I can't judge anyone's heart. But we'll see in a second we better judge doctrine and fruit. What if I make my own scale to judge others by? Again, no, I'm despising prophecy. God's word's the standard. That's an unrighteous judgment. Or if we're just making judgment out of a hate, a heart full of hate versus, again, out of a, a heart of love. It's interesting, that whole text there, judge not lest you be judged, he talks about all that. And then in verse six, he says, don't give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Well, how do I know who a dog is? How do I know who the swine are? Guess what? I gotta make a judgment. I better judge myself first. Am I swiney? Am I doggy? I better get the log out of my own eye. And then if I see again a speck in my brother's eye, I want to help him. And then if I see those that again, that are just just adamantly resisting the gospel, we want to share with them. But then he says, listen, don't be casting pearls over and over. You're going to get trampled. Go throw that seed in a better field. So he says, again, to test, to judge all things. By what? Again, the standard is prophecy, the word of God. Interesting, Acts 17, verse 10. 
The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, from where? To, from Thessalonica, where we're at here in this epistle. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all readiness. And notice here, search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many believed, and also not a few of the Greeks and prominent women, as well as men. Again, Paul didn't show up with the New Testament. He showed up with the Old Testament, preaching Jesus. And what did they do? They opened the scriptures and they tested what Paul was saying. And when they saw it's true, many believed. The power of God was revealed through the scriptures and many came to salvation. And not one time did Paul say, what are you doing? I'm God's anointed. Don't test me. Well, as soon as you hear people saying that, the red flag better pop up like the one on your mailbox and you better hit the door. And a lot of people, you're grieving the spirit of God. You're testing what we're saying, what we're doing, our fruit. How dare you do that? Run for the hills. Paul commended them. The Spirit of God commended them. They were more fair-minded. They searched the Scriptures daily, not once daily. Please search the Scriptures when you come here to hear God's Word. It doesn't say they had a, a, a bad attitude in it. It doesn't say that they were, you know what, fault finders and just doing this, you know, oh, if we just catch them. No, they searched the scriptures. What's God's word have to say? The Bible also talks about judging fruit. And again, we always want to start with our own fruit. Matthew 5, 9, 5 uh, so, excuse me, Matthew seven fifteen. beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves and you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Does a ministry promote men or Jesus Christ? Is Jesus just the float that men stand on to promote themselves? Are there works of the flesh there or fruits of the Spirit? Is the body being edified or is it just being entertained? This is why it's fair game when you see someone like, I'll, I'll name a name, like a Carl Lentz doing shots with Justin Bieber in an Australian bar with his shirt off grinding on an old lady. And people say, wow, that's not right. Oh, how dare you judge him, you judgy, 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 judgy Christians. This is a man saying he's a pastor. Works of the flesh. Oh, he has freedom. Yeah, and you know what? About 30% of our culture struggles with alcohol. Is that walking in love? Is that loving your brother that's struggling to get his life in order because he's been drinking since he was 12 years old? What are we telling our kids about holy lives that God's called them to live? Oh, walk around and grind on women. You can be a Christian like Justin Bieber. I don't know these men's hearts. But that fruit is not good. I hope they're saved. I hope they're born again. But see, that's just a standard to say, I'm saved by grace and now I can just go live whatever I want to live. We're called to live holy life, set apart to be different than the world. 
I hope you understand what I'm saying here. That, you know what? That, that, and, and many would say, oh, don't judge that. No, the Bible says you do need to judge that. You know them by their fruits. That's bad fruit. Listen, if you ever see a YouTube video of me with my shirt off grinding on some woman, not my wife, in a bar, leave the church. <laughs> Serious, leave it. And then if I were to get up and defend that? Do we all have stuff to work through? Absolutely. Are we a work in progress? Absolutely. But to go out and to publicly display that and defend that and put that forth as freedom in Jesus. Yeah, we got freedom in it, but listen, not all things are edifying. Not all things are good. Not all things are loving your neighbor. I have, a, as a pastor, I have a freedom to drink. I don't, though, because, again, I know many in our fellowship are trying to overcome that. That's my conscience in it. The last thing someone in our fellowship that's struggling with that needs to see is me with a 12-pack at Vons. Can I drink? Yeah. Does it say not to get drunk? Absolutely. But again, our fruit and so forth. We also need to know, and I'm not going to go on the verses, but remember Jesus said one of the greatest signs of his coming would be deception. When the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming the end of the age? The first thing out of Jesus' mouth was, take heed that no one deceives you. So it's all the more we better test all things. The Bible says imposters and evil men will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We better be testing all things by the scriptures. We better be examining our hearts, testing ourselves, testing the things around us, testing the things being introduced. How do these things line up with the word of God? First, or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself as whether, to whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. And so after we test these things, notice next, he says, after you've tested, then hold fast to what's good, abstain from every form of evil. Again, what's the standard of the scripture? It's not my belly, it's not my filling, it's not the latest opinion, it's not Christianity today, it is the word of God. And once you test it by scripture, Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And again, going back to the whole bar scene there, the Bible talks about modesty. Oh, that's just the women, the guys, you know, they don't have to be that way, you know. Listen, for the men too. What's God's word say? Let's hold fast to what is good and abstain from these things the Bible says are evil. Not my standard. It was my standard, I'd say evils or onions are evil. <laughs> Big government. So hold fast, clamp on. I think about a, like a barnacle on a ship, it's just there. I think about a, you know, a super glue. Just, you ever get it on your fingers? You got to work to get it off. I think about a pit bull. I grew up raising pit bulls. I had a, a 35-pound pit bull. Her name was Allie. It was short for alligator. And she'd get on the end of the towel, and literally, you could go like this. And you could swing her around, and, and you would wear out before that dog. Hold fast to what's good. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah 6.16, he said, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. 
and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it, then you'll find rest for your souls. Does that not sound good? Unfortunately, next he says, but they said, we won't walk in it. We don't want to walk in the good ways. We want to walk in our own way. There's always temptation, again, to let go of what's good. We need to ask for the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to hold on. And then lastly here, he says, abstain from every form of evil. To abstain, it means you don't participate. The Bible teaches abstinence. And notice here, every form of evil. Not pick and choose. Not, we'll get rid of the big evils, but let's keep around the little evils. No, abstain from them. Shun them, avoid them. Stay clear of them. Don't cozy up to them. Listen to Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of you, out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. So keep your heart, keep your home. Listen, if you're making provisions, bring it before the Lord even today. Song of Solomon 2.15, it says, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes, the spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. A lot of times there's little things that are just evil we allow to stay in our life. And we're thinking, well, it's not a big deal. I can have my little side thing over here. And again, we're saved by grace through faith, praise God, but not all things are going to edify. And those little foxes oftentimes that we allow to stay around, they'll come and they start eating all of the fruit off the vine. And you're like, where's all my joy? Where's all my peace gone? Why, why am I not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit like I once walked in that power? Because these little forms of evil are just allowed to fester and grow and they're fed versus saying, Lord, I got an issue or help me, God. I want to overcome this. Strengthen me. Let me get God's word in my heart. Let me get some accountability. Let me begin to walk in the things God has for me. Listen, the Lord knows we struggle with such things. This isn't a heavy yoke for us this morning. This is the Lord wanting to lighten our load and give us tools to walk in freedom and victory and to be in that place where we're not quenching the work of the Spirit, but we're a people daily getting filled from upon high, that out of our hearts there be a torrent of living water versus that being quenched and that seizing. Let's stand up and close in prayer here. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just bless you this morning and we give you praise and glory, God. Lord, we desperately need your grace and mercy, God. Lord, there are many times when, Lord, we fall short and our fruit is bad. We thank you for the grace and mercy you've given to us, God. I pray, Lord, with these sayings, we'd start by, again, judging our own fruit, our own works, our own actions. And we'd be a people that uphold the word of God. Help us in that. And this morning, you've heard the good news, the bad news that we are under wrath and condemnation, but the good news is that Christ has come to make that way of salvation and freedom. Listen, call on his name. 
Come to him today. He'll meet you where you're at. God's prophetic word declares it. We just bless you, Lord. Let's lift our voices to our God. you in the Lord Jesus. There's pancakes out there. Altars open up there. Someone's phone's ringing. <laughs> Encourage someone before you leave today. God bless you. And prayer tonight at five o'clock in Sunken Gardens.